I hope you're all doing really well and uh, great to have everyone here and uh, we're opening at Ephesians chapter 2. I, I'm enjoying jailbird letters, I pray you do too. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1, you were dead in the uh, trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. We're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us uh, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result as of works, so as that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, we pray for your blessing on your word today, and pray for the encouragement for every person in this room. And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just touch all our lives, open our eyes, let us see. I pray, Lord Jesus, that above all things you'd be lifted up, glorified, and Father, you would bless your people here today. Your wonderful name. Amen. Okay. Uh, this series we've been doing that we've just titled Jailbird Letters. So in the mornings we're looking at Ephesians, the evenings, the afternoons at Colossians and Philemon in uh, Billy Nudgel. Uh, but with this here, Paul is in prison. He's in chains. And... Uh, but in fact, he's the most freest man who ever lived. And he writes letters to churches who are supposedly free, but are often within chains within their own limited thinking. And it's that that we want to really unpack and look at. Uh, and I pray that will bless you just to see who you are in Christ. Now, with this, uh, we're uh, working through this first half of the letter. The key word of this letter, I believe, is church. Uh, ecclesia is the Greek word. And with this, as Paul deals with this, he deals with um, uh, basically who the church really is and our relationship uh, with and in Christ. The first half just deals with our vertical relationship with God. And so uh, they're chapters 1 to 3. And today we're up to what I call the creation of the church. Now, I do uh, got a little disclaimer right at the start of this service uh, message, if I can. I have one or two slides that my Haley looked at and she said, Dad, they're scary. Um, and so if you've got little kids here, uh, I might just say there's one or two scary slides. I've never had... Uh, 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 slides that uh, I had to have a disclaimer for. But um, I pray it doesn't bring offence. There's a real purpose why I want to use that today. So I just put that disclaimer right out front. Now, last week, we looked at an incredible prayer that Paul prays 
And uh, I prayed it for all of you again today. Uh, this morning I do it every day. And, and he just says, I pray to the Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he will grant to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of him. Then he says that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened and flooded with light, that you would know the hope of his calling, the glorious riches of his inheritance within you and the surpassing power he has toward us who believe. Now, I don't want to go over what I did last week, but that prayer, uh, I live that. But at the end of that prayer, it just goes, it says this, in which you brought about in Christ when you rose him from the dead and seated him far above all rule and authority and dominion and name that is named. And you exalted him to the right hand of God, uh, seated in heavenly places. Now that prayer ended that way about what Christ did for us. He died, he was buried, God rose him, exalted him, and now he is seated in the heavenlies. When we uh, come to this passage today, is Paul is, it's one thing to pray this, but it's another thing to turn and look candidly, look at uh, just in black and white, where then, what are the implications for us? Now, with this there, uh, that prayer, and this whole letter is just driving with this one thing, is just like the Cinderella story. And God goes, do you really know who you really are? And so uh, this creation of the church is what I call this. And Paul now just turns and begins to look at this in verses uh, 1 to 10. I I wrote this, uh, and I I, I think, I'm going to say this more than once today, but this is a journey of transformation. And I like this, you mightn't, but I did. A journey from dead to alive. A journey from the morgue to Christ's side. And a journey from a zombie to a bride. I, I like that. And, uh, and Paul just looks right in at this and at this creation of the church. You know, the other week uh, I was down in Coffs Harbour. Uh, last week uh, was, and I was speaking to the men there. And, uh, you know, you often hear a statement that comes there's a whole bunch of kids heading off to their activities and, and uh, there was a person that said, oh, look, the church of tomorrow. Uh, in actual fact, I, I don't agree with that statement. Uh, I know what they were saying and I know it's out of good, uh, uh, you know, good heart it is said. But in actual fact, every one of those kids going off to their programs in Christ are the church of today. That's the truth. There is much a part of the church today. Uh, I know what you're saying. People are saying that by thinking, oh, these are going to be the leaders tomorrow. Um, well, in actual fact, the kids are as a much part of the church as we are, uh, as, we are as adults today. Um, yes, there's tremendous potential in them. But, friends, we can never lose sight of where the church of tomorrow will come from. In actual fact, the church of tomorrow is in the world is the church of tomorrow is those ones who are hostile against us. The church of tomorrow are those that would perceive us as enemies to everything they hold. And uh, I know that because I was once there. I was once there in a position where 
I didn't have anything to do with church. And to me, the church was the enemy. And so I know what that's like. But I'm a part of the church today. And thank God that someone had the faith and the prayer to believe that I could be a part of that church tomorrow. Now, it's that church that Paul now looks at. And he goes, this journey... A journey from dead to alive, from a morgue to Christ's side, from a zombie to a bride. Now, this just outlines in three ways, and this is going to be my three points that I'm going to work from today, is just verses 1 to 3 deal from where we have come from. From spiritual death. In verses 4 to 7, it deals with where we are being brought to, to, seated in the heavenly places. Jesus did this for you, and he's going to take you on this journey as well. And then Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 is by how this was all done. And it's by grace, not of works. From, to, and by. From, to, and by. And so I just want to unpack that if I can, is from spiritual death. And... uh, so Paul begins this uh, chapter, after he prays, that your eyes will be open to who you really are in Christ. And he goes there, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You, you, he goes, those the readers, the Gentile readers that are, uh, are receiving this letter. Um, <laughs> don't worry, very quickly he's going to go, we and the rest of all of us are in this boat as well. And so, if I can just say, it's interesting, most people realize that humanity, not all things are right in the camp. And as people observe this, they have different theories about the problem. So some people look at humanity, and they see humanity as good, with slight aberrations of evil. Uh, that, that's their, you know, their perspective. A little bit like someone who is healthy and occasionally gets a bout of the flu. You know what I mean? And they view that and, and, you know, there are areas that are not so good. But basically, people are good and and then occasionally there's little aberrations of it. Other people look at that and they get see humanity as sick. Uh, They see basically there's a problem, uh, not just other areas of the world, but basically through all the world. And they see it as sick and in desperate need of recovery. So they go, what we need is education. Um, education can be good but you realise the perpetrators of the Third Reich were the most educated in in all of Europe at the time did you realise that? Many people do not realise that the perpetrators of the Khmer Rouge and the Cambodian genocide were all educated in Paris in the highest universities of the day they were very educated people and yet they created some of the greatest atrocities in this world in the last hundred years has ever seen so does education make people better? <laughs> um, well, I'm not so sure. Uh, and, but for Paul, I know how Paul saw this because he tells you. He sees unregenerate humanity as dead. Now, come on, man. You've got to have a think of that. Paul, Paul just goes, uh, you were dead. Um, now, uh, that raises some interesting things. Because, as I mentioned, he's going to go you, and then he's going to go we, and then the rest of all mankind were dead. 
Now, with this, he said, this is where the state we were from. We were dead in trespasses. And I'm sure you've seen those signs, no trespassing. And of course, that's just a flag. What's behind here? Oh, I've got to have a look. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, uh, maybe it's just me. <laughs> it's just me. Uh, uh, anyway, we call that the sins of commission. We know what we shouldn't do, but we move beyond what we shouldn't do. And so we commit sins of commission. And then it says sins. That's just the word, hamartia, in the Greek language. It just simply means to miss the mark, to fall short. So it's the sins of omissions. And I think you covered everything. Commissions, omissions. And uh, you covered it all. And Paul just says we were dead. Uh, and he goes, that was our state. Now, we looked at this last week is because we look at the fact in 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 15, the Bible says the natural man, the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit uh, of God for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And we looked at that. This is the spiritual aspect of man that died. And that fact that died, I said last week that man should have been a 10 cents man. He should have had five senses in the natural, but five senses in the spiritual. But man died spiritually. So that creates some real problems uh, if we come to Genesis 2.17 as it first articulates what death really is. In Genesis 2.17, God says, But don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, You shall not eat from it, for in the day that you'll eat, you shall surely die. Now, the Hebrew is a very pictorial language, and it words it this way. In dying, you shall die. So death is a process, according to biblical definition. It's not an event. So it unpacks as a process. And in that process, the first aspect that dies within a person is spiritually to God. That's what dies. And then they begin to experience fear in the soul, in the mind, the will, and the motion. So Genesis 3.10 says God, man ran away from God because he was afraid. And then finally it unpacks physically or corporeally. And what happens is man dies 930 years after the event in Genesis 5.5. So death is this process. And death in the understanding of the Bible is a separation. It's a separation. And that separation, Isaiah 59, 2 probably gets it really well. It goes, but your iniquities, another word for transgressions and sins, have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There's a separation from man spiritually to God. And that separation has led to what the Bible calls a natural man or an unregenerate man who's blind to the glory of Christ, who's deaf to the voice of God, who's unable to smell the sweet fragrance of heaven, who's unable to taste the sweet things of God and who's unable to sense the touch of God because they are dead. Now, (laughs) uh, we need to get something right about this. You can't get one person deader than another. They're dead. Uh, Let me put it this way. In the state of death, you're dead 
or you're really decayed dead. But you're both dead. You follow what I'm saying? So there's a state of intensity of decay that can be in death. But a corpse can't be more dead than another corpse. Uh, so as such, the only hope for humanity is resurrection. That's the only hope that humanity has. And so Paul takes this even further. And this is where things get a little wild ride. He goes, and you were dead in transgressions and sins in which you once walked. Um, do you get that? This is the living dead. Um, uh, 1 Timothy 5, 6 but, says, but she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. So she's dead. And, but she's living dead. But you can't get someone deader if they're dead than another one. It can only be more decayed or less decayed. Do you follow what I'm... Anyway, I, I, think, I think hopefully you'll get where I'm going with this. Uh, in a moment you will anyway. <laughs> uh, so mankind's dilemma, according to Paul, is the from story is we were dead and in fact we were the living dead or maybe another word, we could call this, we were a zombie army. Uh, now, um, I know that zombie movies are not everyone's genre of movie. In fact, there's people in this room, I'd say there's probably a group of people in this movie go, zombie movie, oh, bring it on. And there's others in this room go, oh, that's of the devil. Uh, okay. Uh, but can, can, can you just allow me to indulge for a little moment on this? It's because uh, I think some people would have seen the movie I Am Legend, starring Will Smith. At least all the YWAMers have seen it. <laughs> have they? Oh, not all. Uh, there's some good still Christian ones in the bunch. <laughs> uh, uh, come on, who's seen the movie? Uh, <laughs> All right. Now, I Am Legend starred Will Smith. came out about 2006. And it was a story supposedly about a scientist called Robert Neville. And he wakes up in a world where a terrible man-made virus has gone loose. And that man-made virus has affected nearly all of humanity. But for some reason, Robert Neville is immune. And he wakes up in a changed world of New York. And it's a bizarre world. He is the last man on earth, at least as he knows a man. And of course, if you know the genre movie that was based on another movie starring Charlton Heston called The Amiga Man. And uh, of course, uh, I don't think many of you have seen that. But um, in that story, which is basically of this genre of the zombie story, is the world of the living dead. Now, most people don't like this genre of movie because it's a horror movie. Uh, it, it gives you the heebies and the jeebies. And um, it's because what happens, Robert Neville seeks to try and get a, a, a cure for mutant humanity because that mutant humanity is turned into a race of vampires. 
They live in darkness. They can't bear the light. So they live in an exclusive darkness. And he says to them, screams out as they're trying to attack him. He yells out, I can save you. I can save everybody. But in fact, he can't. It's because the virus is incurable. And so, because everyone is infected. And so he is in this weird world. Uh, Some of you, uh, this is where the scary pictures Uh, Because, man, they're they're horrible. They live in the shadows and every now and then poor old Robert Neville gets in that world and you go, get me out of that world. It's a horrible world. Um, And we recoil and we go, that's a a horror movie. Some may have seen the movie World War Z. Seen World... Louis, the carnal man in the church. Louis and me, I saw World War Z. And World War Z is just like I Am Legend and it stars Brad Pitt. It stars, supposedly acts out Jerry Lane. And Jerry Lane wakes up in a world where a virus is also set loose in the world and is taking over the world. And what happens is if someone gets bitten by someone who carries this virus, they turn into these hideous zombie creatures of the living dead. Uh, you getting the feel this morning? And, uh, and so Jerry Lane is in a horrible world. And that world, he's struggling to try and, and it's just this literally an army of living dead devouring everything before it. You know, amazingly, he observes that our army of the living dead have no interest in diseased people. They're only interested in healthy people to bring them to be as they are. And he observes that. And he observes that this zombie army avoids someone that carries a disease. And so he, at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, he infects himself with a hideous disease. And he knows he's got a very limited amount of time. And in that limited time, he's going to save humanity and pass through the zombies to bring salvation to the human race. Does it sound maybe a little biblical to you? Where one of humanity became disease for us and took our sin and transgression to save humanity. So he literally becomes a Christ figure. So zombie movies are actually very biblical. <laughs> very biblical. <laughs> Because, friends, from God's perspective, God's perspective is mankind is in a state of horror. Mankind who is dead spiritually, he's not sick. He's not good and with little bouts of the flu. He is dead. And being dead, as spiritual dead, are basically dead in sin and it even gets worse who are enemies of everything God stands for. They're enemies. So this army of the living dead is actually at war with God and at war with everything that God stands for. Now, some of you are going to say, I went to church today and the pastor called me a zombie. Uh, I didn't call you that. Paul did. Uh, you, you got it? Um, now, what lends support 
to an army of the living dead. Well, in Ephesians 2, 2 to 3, it says the world. The world. And, and Paul goes, following the course of this world. Now, the Greek word for world, you all know. It's the word cosmos. And it's where we draw the word cos- cosmos from. But it's also where we draw the word cosmetic from. The dangling uh, world of cosmetics to dress one up and make it look pretty. And the world dresses itself up as if it's pretty, but it's in fact dead. And that world, uh, you know, is, is actually leading people a certain way. J.B. Phillips, as he translated this, says all the time that you followed the world's ideas of living. A world that is cut adrift from God morally, cut adrift from God in, in, in just living for a material generation, a world that is secular and is driving people a certain way in influence. Man alive, when you look at this, where our world is right at this moment in the nation of Australia. Uh, anyway, uh, I won't go anywhere further there. Paul says there's a second thing that garners this, this, this support of the living dead, and it's the devil. Now, people say to me, I don't believe in the devil. Uh, that's probably because you live in Byron Bay. If I took you to Syria or northern Iraq or northern Nigeria, it might change your understanding of what you think of a devil. Nimmin. Anyway, there we go. Uh, one time I said church, I said, put that in your pipe and smoke it. Just as well I didn't say it at Nimmin. <laughs> anyway, um, it says, following the prince... Yeah, maybe I did. Are we there, Jit? Oh, thank you. Okay. Uh, So let's just come there. Uh, Following the prince of the power of the air. Now, that's an unusual phrase, but the word power there is not our normal word power. It's actually exousia. It's speaking of an authority structure. There's an authority structure that sits behind that world above. Now, what's more, it says, of the air or the air, uh, which means the lower heavy atmosphere. Uh, I like to call it smog. You ever been in a, flown into a city with some smog and you fly, look at that smog. And you get into that city and sometimes you can only see a very short distance. And people say to me, I don't believe in the devil. Um, Well, I usually illustrate this with saltwater crocodiles. You get into saltwater crocodile river, you don't see them. It's when you're out of the river that you see it. And can I just say, you're in a world of smog. You don't see it either. You sit in that world of smog because he hides within that smog. And in that smoggy world of that lower, dense air, the word that Paul particularly shares here, he's invisible to most people. But that influence... It goes on there, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, the word spirit there doesn't mean spirit, spirit. It's actually most likely referring to the system. It's most likely referring to, uh, if I can maybe put it this way, the prevailing mood that's driving in that world. 
and there's a prevailing mood. And if you stand up against that, you're going to feel the wrath of it. And so it's now at work. And that word work there is, is a Greek word. You all know it. It's energeo. And energeo is usually translated energize. This is important for what I want to say. He is energizing that system, that prevailing mood, literally energizing it and, and, and driving it to work a certain way. Now, that's what the way Paul puts it. And he said, uses the term there, sons of disobedience, because he is the father of disobedience. And so this army of living dead are sons of disobedience. But there's a third thing. And the Bible calls this the flesh, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. Now, now the word there, flesh, there is a Greek word, sock. Just sounds bad, doesn't it? Sock. It sounds like a dog's bark. A sock. And um, sorry, I'm sorry. And uh, and it's, it defines the unregenerated, selfish man in alienation to God. And, and it says there, and, and that has a, a desire, an appetite, the desires of the body. And, and all of the natural desires are then distorted. So, so what happens is food becomes gluttony, thirst becomes drunkenness, is sleep becomes sloth, sex becomes lust. And, but, but it's more than that. It says the desires of the mind, knowledge, becomes pride. 1 Corinthians 8 1 says knowledge puffs up. And purpose, you ought to have a vision and a purpose, but that purpose can lead to selfish ambition where I'm going to stomp you down to get myself to the highest place. And meditation becomes vengeance, vindictiveness towards other people. And, and, and it becomes uh, 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 this flesh outworks. And, and see, friends, what happens as this system, this threesome, the world, the devil, and the flesh work together? It sort of reminds me, I'm sure you remember that scene out of Lord of the Rings and that third movie and she lobs web. And, and, and Frodo naively walks his way into that labyrinth. And, and did you remember? And he starts getting tangled. You see, friends, that's how sin works. It's sort of, you know, you've got to pass your way through the world and it seduces you and you play with it and, and you stick. And, and, and what you thought was sticking is the more you struggle in that web, the more it pulls down that force and it just wants to come down and give you a nip on the back of the neck to anesthetize you that you just don't even know where you are in that web because it's going to devour you and consume you at its appropriate moment. And if you've ever dealt with issues of sin and transgression, when they get a hold of your life... Friends, I I already mentioned, I I took a team one time to Siberia uh, dealing with drug alcohol. You you got no idea of drug alcohol problems till you were there in early 2002 when I took that team. You got no idea. And, you know, you're seeing fetal alcohol children everywhere you go. You're seeing every, you know, I was in rehabs, every guy there, 70% were all HIV, 99% hep C. 
And I was standing there after rehab, after rehab, because the government didn't do anything to help anyone. The only one that helped them was the church. And I will have communion. And in that church of 1,200 people and two communion glasses and 30 guys around me, I'd spent the two, three days before and I knew they were all hep C and 70 to 80% of them all HIV all around me. And I look at this and I go, thank God for my little Pentecostal cup. (laughs) Anyway, I can see you really love that. Um, But what happens there is, is, is this... You, you get caught in that web and you try and extract yourself. The more you try and fight in your strength against those things, the more you just get wound up and bound. And, and you ever tried to deal, you know, helping people out of ice addictions or out of heroin addictions or, or you, out of speed, uh, all of these things? Friend, it, it, it just comes like a web and it just, the more they struggle, the more they just like, until that nip, and then it just gets anesthetized, and they don't even know where they are. Now, that is transgression and sin at its worst. And that's, that's, a, that's a terrible place for humanity to get. This from journey, mate, it's a bad journey. And this army of the living dead, uh, the Bible calls it. And, and, and it says we were by nature. It was our very nature. Our spiritual DNA, we were children of? Well, of course, if we're going to talk about God, you can't use that word, can you? Wrath. Ooh, because that infers that God can have wrath. Uh, yes, God has wrath because his wrath is aimed at everything against wholeness and goodness in this world. And, and so the unregenerate, natural man in his very nature... He's literally the army of the living dead. He's dead spiritually. And so this wrath is orge, is the Greek word. And it's a very interesting word. Orge is a word that literally means to grow ripe for something. And it means to grow ripe for destruction. Now, there's another word in the New Testament that's used for wrath. And it's thumos. And thermos is where we get our English word thermos from. And thermite. Uh, 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 do you know what I mean? And people struggle with this because they go, oh, it sounds like God is angry. You know, because they only know anger by man's definition of anger. They lose it and go ballistic or something. No, God's wrath is constant anger against this. And, and you've got to ask the question, all right, the next verse says that God, listen to this, it goes there. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. How do you reconcile wrath and love together? Well, friends, very easy. If you've ever known anyone that's had cancer, you will know. Is they can't go, I love you, little cancer. I love you, little cancer. Oh, just do your own little thing, cancer. It's because it's going to destroy everything of what they are. And love cannot be love unless it has wrath. Because that wrath has got to rise up and go, I have got to judge you, little cancer, because if I don't, it's going to destroy my world. Did you follow that? So the love of God 
In fact, you don't know. You can't even comprehend that love of God. There's going to be a prayer later in this letter that you would even get a little bit of comprehension of that love. But it's absolutely reconciled to the wrath and anger of God that is against sin, that is against transgression, that's going to destroy everything that we hold dear unless it's judged. And in fact, love cannot be love unless it has wrath within it. And, and, and people don't realize that. But friends, that's from. That's from. And friends, there's a, a two. Thank God for that. Two. Uh, and because uh, and, Jesus did a work in you. And the God being rich in mercy because he loved us with great love, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places. Just as what God did with Jesus when he rose him from the dead. Now, far out, friends, this just goes, whoa, whoa. This is some journey. And... So if I can unpack this just a bit, that phrase, but God. Do you get it? You see, dead people don't converse. Dead people don't feel pain. You realize people, dead people don't feel any pain of their separation to God at all because they're dead. dead. Dead people can't do anything to extract themselves from their dilemma. But God... And God didn't come to reform humanity. He didn't come to re-educate, reprogram, or heal the spiritually sick. He came to resurrect humanity from the dead. He came to resurrect the spiritual living from the living dead. That's what God came to do. And Paul says, you better see this clearly because God is going to move you from dead to alive, from morgue to Christ's side and from zombie to Christ's bride. What a journey. Man, alive. But God. Now, now, you know this. You see, there's, there's three stories of Jesus dealing with the dead in the New Testament. There's Jairus' daughter who just died. There's another one called the widow of Nain's son in Luke 7, and, and they're on the way to the cemetery. And there's a story of Lazarus who's been four days dead. You see, they're all dead. It's just the level of the state of decay in death. Do you follow that? And in four days, uh, usually decay is bad. Now, there's certain things you can do for dead people. And that story of the dealing of the story with Jesus and Lazarus is quite clear. Is because he comes to the, to the tomb four days late. And, and, and Martha meets Jesus. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> didn't you know he was sick? Why didn't you come? Why didn't you come when, when there was a, you know, a chance to maybe do something with him? And, and, and Jesus goes, well, I've come at the right time. He's four days dead. And he's not only dead, the Bible says he's on the nose. He's right in the process of decay. And all I could do was Martha... Uh, came and showed Jesus where Lazarus was entombed. You realize it's the only thing you can do with dead people. What can you do for them? They're dead. You can only, you can only show Jesus where they're in the tomb. And the second thing you can do 
you can remove the stone. So they come along and Martha organizes them and they roll away the stone. But she says to Jesus, she says in John eleven thirty nine, Lord, already there is a stench because he's been dead four days. Not even the Jews believed it was possible to resurrect after three days. Three days was the limit. Four days, oh, deep yogurt, <laughs> high level of fermentation. Um, any, <laughs> sorry. And then the only other thing you can do is believe on Jesus. So John eleven forty, uh, Jesus says, if you'll believe in me. Let me tell you, friends, when it comes to dead people, the only one who can resurrect the dead is God. And see, Jesus comes and he stands outside that tomb and goes, Lazarus, come out. Now, I thank God Jesus said Lazarus. Because if he hadn't have said that, the whole cemetery would have come out. <laughs> Mate, pet cemetery number three, here we come. Uh, but no, uh, Jesus calls Lazarus. Now, I don't know, have you ever thought about that? The Bible says he's bound head to foot. They've actually anointed him with oils. They've, they've wound his head up. He's wound his whole body up and he wakes up in his tomb. <laughs> this is a terrible story. Years ago, BC, before I was born again, um, and I, I had a, some real good heathen mates. And what happened, one of their friends got drunk. I wasn't there this night, but I sure heard about it. And they went and took him in his insatiated state. And they took him to the local cemetery because they knew there was a grave and the big stone was cracked right across the top and you could look right down the grave and you could see the old casket laying down under there. And guess where they took him? They went there and lowered him down in the grave and lowered him on the grave. And then they ran up behind the tombstones and sat there to watch. Now, my friends told me exactly what happened that night. He's gradually started coming to, ho, ho, ho. He's gradually coming to, and gradually he opens his eyes, and he looks, and he's down a grave. He's on a casket. It's nighttime in the cemetery. And my mate says, you would not believe how fast he came out of that hole. <laughs> he came up out of that hole, and he was running, man. And he was falling over tombstones, and he ran and ran and ran. And they just saw him disappear out of the cemetery. Now, I want you to think about that, because Lazarus hears the voice of Jesus. Lazarus, come forth. Now, the poor guy's bound head and foot. Does anyone go in and fetch him out? So I know exactly how old Lazarus came out of there. And I think he came out quickly too. Because he woke up, realised where he was. And he came out this way. <laughs> Bound head to foot. And then Jesus says, the only thing that you can do is unbind him and let him go. Only God can resurrect the dead. Only the voice of God. And when that voice of God connects to dead people, God can raise dead people to life. And when you raise dead people to life, friends, you as the church have got one command after that, unbind them. And I tell you, depending on the state of decay, those bandages are stuck fast. <laughs> and you go, ah, as you try and pull those bandages off of them. That's what it's like coming out of a sinful world. Do you realise that? You think it's all peaches and cream? <laughs> like you were dead. <laughs> and you've got to be unpacked. And so Ephesians 2 4 says, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of great love, the ESV gets it absolutely right. Double emphasis in the Greek. Listen to it. And goes, Out of great love with which he 
loved us. Friends, you got no idea of the love that God had for you. And you weren't just dead, you were the living dead. You were a zombie army absolutely opposed to everything he stood for. You were his enemy. And God's love, God's love came and met you in mercy. You know what the word mercy means? It means to get into your shoes, to feel how you feel, to come to you in that wound up state in Shelob's web. And he came to you in your pitiful state and God brings life into you. And he pulls you out of that web and then there, Romans 8, 5, 8 to 10 probably got says better than any, any other passage. For God shows his love for us that why will we yet still, what? Sinners. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if why we were, what's the word? Oh, we don't like that, do we? Now God's my mate. In fact, everything in by your nature was opposed to God. We were enemies, but we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. From dead to life, from morgue to Christ's side, from zombie to Christ's bride. I like this journey. So verse 5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive. The old King James used the word quickened. I love that. Quickened. It's it's sort of one moment you were dead and the next moment you are quickened. Something spiritually happened to you. You put your faith in God. And then Paul does something weird in the Greek. He creates three words. Now if you create words that no one else has ever used, it's usually for a reason. There are no words to unpack it. You, You follow what I'm saying? Don't worry, we're doing okay. Just a little bit more and we're done. Is that okay? You still with me? Um, He made us alive together with Christ. They all start with sin. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the... Did you hear that? (laughs) So now if I'm seated in the heavens through all this action that God's done, now Psalm 110 verse 1 also belongs to us. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It means all the enemies and spiritual powers in the heavens are now subject to your feet, your authority. And what did you do to contribute to this whole journey? Dilch, ditto, nothing. God did it all. I'll jump over that, but I, I, I haven't got time. Let me come to verse 7. So that in coming ages we might, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did God do this? <laughs> he picked you. And you become exhibit A for the grace of God for eternity. That God is good, he loves you, and in his mercy he came to you. And so we were once that zombie army and now we've been transformed. We've been transformed by the action of God. And this leads us to the final part of the journey. And uh, as number three, and the one we'll spend the least time on, but it just goes there. We just come. And I I love this. I'll find where I am. Here we go. Uh, It's because by grace, not works. So we've come from, to, and now by. 
And so it says, by, by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. <laughs> you can't get someone who is deader than someone else. And can I just say this? You can't get someone who is aliver than someone else. You're either living or you're dead. You follow what I'm saying? And so God has come, and this whole process of salvation is by God alone. He did it all. Now, let's get one thing right here. When it goes, and this is not his own, some have said, oh, even the faith that you responded to God in was given by God. Now, the Greek doesn't really let you do that. Is the Greek there, the tense, uh, doesn't allow that. It's speaking of the whole salvation process. Everything God did, okay, everything. It's all a gift of God, and for this reason, it's not by works at all. You can't sit there and go, man, you know, thank God I'm saved. It's because I was a nice guy before and I got nicer. No, friends, you were dead, and now you're alive. I don't care how good you thought you once were. You needed resurrection. Therefore, in the salvation process, no one can boast. The only thing I can boast, Paul says in Galatians 6.14, is I'll boast in no other thing but the cross of Christ. Only thing I'll boast in. And so what of works in this whole salvation journey? What of works? And so verse 10, and we finish with this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should, and what's the word? Walk. Listen to it. Walk in them. Did you see how this chapter started and how it now ends this section? Now, workmanship is a fun word, poema. And poema is where we get the English word poem from. You've just not been saved, but you're God's poem. You're God's work of art. You're, you're God's new creation, handiwork, the NIV says. NLT goes, masterpiece. You think you came out of this a mess. And God says, oh, you haven't worked out who you are yet. You've been resurrected. You've been resurrected in Christ. You're now new creations. And he's going to refer to that in Ephesians 4.24 too. Now, a self-creation is an oxymoron, a contradiction of terms. You can't self-create. You, to, to be a new creation, someone from outside had to do the work. Everyone follow what I said? God did the work. He did everything. And I go, why in the world did he do that? Uh, Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you both to the will and to work for his good pleasure. God did the work in you and now you can do good works. And those good works just declare that this journey of salvation has happened in your life. Uh, sort of there. I love the Greek word. It's anageo again. Energized. God energized you that now you can do good works not to save you, but declares that God did everything. In you. So, so that we should walk in them. We are now the army, the living army of God. So there we go. <laughs> you were once dead. That pastor called me a zombie today. Yeah. <laughs> in which you once walked. You're the army of the living dead. But you, by the work of God, have been delivered and raised up with Christ. You are now being seated and exalted in him. And you are now seated in the heavenlies. Because all authority has now come to you. And the whole journey 
is by grace, not by works. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not as a result of works. For we are God's poem. We are his work of art. We are his masterpiece. And that journey from dead to alive, from morbid to Christ's side, from zombie to Christ's bride, man alive, do you know who you are in Christ? Let's stand. Sorry, my Sue. Good shot. I've got it right between the eyes. Let's stand. Let's pray. And I, I pray that as you come to God's word, you'll just understand the grace of God. Some people might believe I've been too brutal this morning. But to be really honest, it can't get brutal enough. Because if you don't understand the brutality of where we've come from, you will never comprehend the incredible grace of God where we've been brought to. That's when you really see grace. Jesus, we thank you. We honour you. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I pray for your blessing, for your hand, your touch over them. And Father, I just thank you for salvation. I thank you, Father, for the work that you've done. I thank you for this journey of salvation. Father, I pray for every person in this room. I pray for those who, Lord, have come to faith and think they're a mess. Lord God, I pray you open their eyes that they're God's poem, your poem. Father, your masterpiece. And Lord Jesus, I just thank you for your grace. I pray for those who've never put their faith in you. Open their hearts. Father, may they hear your voice. May they respond to your voice. Lazarus, come forth. And Jesus, we give you all the glory and honor. Amen.